Uh, if you got your Bibles, I want you to open it up to uh, Galatians chapter 6 and just park yourself right there. But as you are turning, let me pray. Father, I thank you that you are a mighty, mighty God. I am overwhelmed at the ability that you have to affect things and change things. Lord, today I recognize that your Holy Spirit is here, present in this place, to minister to hearts and to minds, to remove fear and to remove doubt. Lord, I know that your presence is here. Holy Spirit, I submit and yield into your hands. Let me be an instrument to bless your people here today. Father, I also recognize that in this place there are men and women who are in desperate need to either start for the very first time or to renew a relationship with you. And God, I know that today, if they are given a chance, nothing will stand in the way from them making that choice today. Lord, I also recognize that you have brought people here who are in need of a church family. And Lord, given the opportunity, nothing will stop them from saying that Celebration International Church is the very place that you have brought me to, God, and I shall make this my faith home. Father, I recognize above all things that I am not speaking to broken and defeated and lost and hopeless people, but I am speaking to your children. I'm speaking to those who are victorious because you've called us to be in victory when we stand and live and walk with you. So Father, I thank you for a victorious group of people online and in person that are advancing and overcoming in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And if you are one of those victorious men and women, give God a mighty praise and a mighty amen. 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 All right. You've got your Bibles open. Say amen. All right. Do we have our faith confession up on the screen? All right. I want you to practice saying this with me. One, two, three. The applied word of God will change my life instantly. I actively embrace and embody its teachings. Pleasing God is my purpose. I walk in faith, not sight. I claim promises, pursue passionately, and prosper as my soul prospers. My faith is proof. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah. All right, are we in Galatians chapter 6? want to speak to you today under the title of Getting Results, Reaping a Harvest. How many of you, when you think of the word harvest, what comes to your mind? Is it a field? Do you see a field of corn or a field of wheat or a field in, in the you know, middle of America where there is no hills and all you see is corn for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles? Or are, are you thinking of the word harvest and you're thinking of something that you're looking to have a result in? Maybe for some of us we think harvest and we're thinking a harvest of finances. We want to reap a harvest of financial stability and blessing and, and overflow. How many of you think of harvest and you think of something worthwhile to accomplish and you're thinking of maybe the harvest of marriage? 
Some of y'all singles, you're looking to get married. You think about this harvest often, don't you? Like one day, Lord, let me get my harvest done and ready and receive that thing. How many of you think of harvest as like, I want to be able to go on a nice vacation and have a nice home or have peace in my family. I need that harvest to come into my life. Maybe some of you young guys who love the gadgets and the gizmos and the cars, and you think of maybe one day I'll reap the harvest of that Bugatti. Amen. We got some honest brothers in this house. Amen. Maybe the harvest for you is just, I want to have that nice looking body and I want to go back to my high school weight. So I need to reap that harvest. I need, I need to get through some of these things and I got to go back and I want to reap that harvest. What about in the church? What does the harvest look like? We got a picture. What does the harvest look like? Does it look like an evangelistic crusade where you have the crowds of people that represents the kingdom of souls that God wants us to reach? People. What does the harvest look like? It may look like all of these different things. And all of these different things at different points in seasons of our lives, they are actually worthwhile to pursue, but they all have you know, underlying principles, underlying maxims and laws and things that we need to take into account if we want to reap whatever the harvest may be. And we as a church have launched out into this vision that we want to be about this singular vision as we move forward in this time frame. That we want to bring every person that we encounter, every person that the Lord allows us the opportunity to cross paths with, Everyone that walks into these doors or logs into a stream, we want to bring them to a place where they realize that there is a life worth celebrating for all. All. I didn't misspeak. All people. Well, pastor, my circumstance. Well, pastor, my situation. Well, pastor, my, you haven't seen my family. No, 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 no. All. If Psalms 103 says that he redeems us from death and he crowns us with loving mercy, man, I got to discover what that loving mercy is. Because once I find it, I realize (laughs) my family looks like this, but I've got a life worth celebrating because I've met the one who reveals truth and who has crowned me with mercy and crowns me with love and loves me unconditionally and does for me something that could never be done. His mercies are new in my life every morning. Yes, I am one counted as a life worth celebrating. Everyone we encounter is worthy of such an experience. So we want to reveal Christ. We want to raise people to bigger potential. We want to reach as many people as possible because every life is worthwhile. So you're going to hear me say this again and again. Why? Because we need to grab onto this vision and we have a lofty goal to accomplish in 10 years. 
We'll have it on the website pretty soon. You heard it at Celebrate Sunday. We'll plaster it on a wall. It'll be around, but you can go back and review it and look at it. We are not just trying to do church or to be around and survive, but we want to reach the harvest. We want to spread the good news. We want to have results. And so, today I want to speak to you out of this title. Out of this title. Getting results. Reaching a harvest. And I want to point you to Galatians chapter 6. And let's take a look at a couple of understandings that we need to have. A couple of principles that are embedded in this concept that we find the Apostle Paul speaking. The Apostle Paul is talking to the churches in the region of Galatia. These were people churches, believers that he had spoken the gospel to. He had taught them the word of faith and he had taught them the news of Jesus Christ. And now there are people after Paul has left that have come in and are trying to deceive the churches in Galatia, the Judaizers, these men and women who are coming in and saying for you to be saved, for you to experience the results that, that God has for you and the blessings of God, then you need to be circumcised. You need to do this and you need to do that and you need to uphold the law. And in reality, all that these men and women were doing, they were trying to hide and not get the ire and the fury of Rome. They are trying to not upset the Jewish synagogue rulers. They are just trying to go along with the status quo and not upset the apple cart so that people would accept them and they would just look like they are religious and pure. But in reality, they have no power, they have no authority, they don't have any relationship or dynamic, authentic experience with God. All they have is a set of rules, and they're trying to get the people in Galatia to go back to those rules, trying to go back to certain parameters as opposed to going into relationship. And so Paul speaks. If you're there, say amen. Galatians 6, amen. Chapter 7, uh, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen. Speaking to these churches which had recently, because of the deception of the Judaizers, going back into a method and system of following rules without relationship, these were people who were jumping back in and struggling with quarrels, fights, dissension. They are filled with conceit, with pride, with envy. They are not calling out truth, but they are refusing to recognize legitimate needs, needs among them because they're too busy trying to follow a set of rules and they're missing the trees from the forest. These guys need a rebuke from Paul. 
And so Paul brings out this timeless truth from them, and he says, look, guys, God is not mocked. God will not be mocked. God will not be made a fool. God will not be made fun of because whatsoever one sows, that he will also reap. His emphasis here is a very simple truth. And that is that there is a direct correlation between the sowing and the reaping. There is such a thing in the universe called causation. There is a cause and there is an effect. It's built into God's laws. Not only that, Paul is trying to reach into this reality that each person, for whatever they will be blessed or not, they own the responsibility. For every person, the onus is on that person, whether he will be blessed or cursed. Are you following me? Say amen. Amen. It's all good. Let's not get colded this morning. So, what do we want to know and think of and consider here? The first thing I want to bring to your attention, regardless of the results and the harvest that you're trying to reap, the very first thing that Paul wants us to understand is that the harvest is a consequence. Say consequence. The harvest is a consequence. It is a consequence of what you sow and where you sow it. What you sow and where you sow. When you sow wheat seeds, you are going to reap a what harvest? Wheat. You cannot get a mango out of an apple tree. If you did, I think everyone who's a farmer would just quit their job because it would be chaos. You have been hired to produce this crop and your employer shows up for you to give them the crop that you were hired to do and you look at them and say, I'm sorry, you asked for you know, this tropical fruit and I've got soy for you. It wouldn't work out. So God builds this reality. Look here at what it says in verse 8 and 9. It says, sow to satisfy sinful desires and you will harvest the consequence of decay and death. Sow to please the spirit and the consequences will be life from the spirit. In other words, one cannot expect to sow to the sinful nature and reap eternal life. Like, I don't, I don't think we really need to dive into this too much, right? Like this whole book is about telling us what we should do and how we should live. Uh, one acronym goes Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Read it, it's right here. You want eternal life, then follow the eternal principles within the book. But let me make it practical for us, right? Because maybe we need to see this from a practical everyday life perspective. Here's, here's Proverbs 18. Go, go to your Bibles. Look at Proverbs 18. It tells us in Proverbs 18, verse 24, that a man who has friends must himself be friendly. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. If you want a harvest of friends, if, Junior, you want to have a lot of friends in your life, then you got to be friendly. 
It is very mind-blowing information, right? Like you did not expect to hear such wisdom in church this morning. Some folks gripe and they say, well, pastor, I have no friends. I've got no friends. I got nobody in my life. No one cares. No one cares about me. I'm lonely and all these different things. Yet when you inquire into their lives, then you start to realize they never instigate a conversation. Oh, and when they do instigate a conversation, Ellen, they actually only speak negatively. And when they speak negatively, they are alienating friends and not attracting them. When you look into their lives and say, I'm so lonely. Well, when's the last time you invited somebody over your house? I don't invite people at my house. My house needs to be cleaned and this and that and whatever. And I don't want them coming in here and they're going to dirty my stuff. Well, why are you lonely? <laughs> right? No one wants to be around you because of how you speak. No one wants to be around you because you just talk about the same stories again and again. You never give another person a chance. You are lonely because you never invite them out. You never go out with them. You want them to come to you, but then when they come, you don't want them there. (laughs) If a man wants friends, he must himself be friendly. It's a consequence. The harvest is a consequence. Reminds me of a story that I read of Heidi Newmark. She's a pastor from the Bronx. And this lady, she, um, you know, incredible story. Uh, she's in a different uh, stream theologically, but it's all good. We, God bless her for her faith in Jesus Christ. But she tells a story of when she was a college student. She uh, volunteered for a year and went to do this uh, volunteer work in a mission down on John's Island off the coast of the Carolinas. And she ministered there for a whole year, volunteering and serving. She became really good friends with a a, a missus by the name of Miss Ellie. Miss Ellie was 90 years old or maybe 100. No one knew. And maybe Miss Ellie didn't even know herself. But she lived down this dirt road, miles and miles down this dirt road. Miss Ellie, 90 plus years old, lived in a one-room wooden house. And so they would talk, they would connect, they would spend time together on the front porch, drinking some tea and just talking, swapping stories. And Heidi would hear the stories that Miss Ellie would share. And she realized that Miss Ellie would often go and visit her one friend called Miss Netta. Miss Netta lived pretty much across the way from a stream, but because the waters were so deep, She had to walk miles and miles through long grass that were known to have poisonous snakes to get all the way around to the narrow part of the stream and cross over to get to Miss Netta's house. Now imagine a 90 plus year old woman going through long grass with poisonous snakes to go visit her friend. Sounds amazing, right? Well, Heidi gets an idea one day. Well, let let me, I have an idea. Let me get some men. I'll get these guys, and we'll build a plank bridge across the stream so that Miss Ellie can go and visit with Miss Netta. And she's so excited once this, the, the bridge is done, she, she comes over to her house. She says, hey, I got something to show you. And she's like, what do you want? She gets her out of the rocking chair, brings her over, and reveals the amazing gift. Here is the bridge. Now you can go visit Miss Netta And it's going to be so much faster and easier and no problem. I got you a shortcut. To which Miss Ellie just looked at this woman, at this young, college-aged 
well-intentioned seminarian and says, why'd you do that, dear? She looks at her with pity in her voice and says, child, I don't need a shortcut. I don't need a shortcut. And then she starts to tell her about all the friends that she keeps up with along the way to Miss Netta's house. See, I go from here and I stop by Mr. Jenkins' house and we always gossip about what's going on. And then I stop by Miss Hunter's house and she's always looking forward to the scraps of quilt that I'm going to bring her. And so I give, then I stop at someone else's house and I try the raisin wine that they have made and all that kind of stuff. And then I stop by and visit on the old sick people and I pray with them over there. And then finally I get to Miss. Netta's house. Child, you can't take shortcuts if you want friends in this world. He who wants friends must himself be friendly. Guys, if this applies to the area of friendship, does it apply to the area of finances? Does it apply to the area of faith? If you want to reap eternal life, but all you're sowing is life in the flesh, all you're doing is giving into every desire of your flesh, you are reaping what you sowed. And let me tell you, it is not an eternal life. But if all you're sowing is dissension, division, pornography, lust, pride, envy, strife, you know, uh, idolatry, lies. All you are promoting and sowing is violence and death and disease that you will not be reaping eternity. The Bible is clear. I don't have to give you a list. Paul gives various lists. There's these people and those people and that people and this people that will not inherit eternal life. Jesus spoke about it. He challenged the Pharisees on it. It talks about it in Revelation, that liars, that cheats, that homosexuality and all these other things. I don't get to set the rules. He sets the rules and he puts the order and he allows the truth to reign. And he says, you can choose life or you can choose death. But there is no shortcuts to eternity. There is no shortcuts to friendship. There is no shortcuts to the harvest that you want to reign and, and, and to, to reap in your life because the harvest is a consequence. God sets this principle. Go, go to Genesis chapter 8. You're going to see this, that in the very beginning of the Bible, God sets this principle in order and it does not change. Genesis 8, 22, while the earth remains, seed time and then harvest. If you look around, and your eyes have opened up and you see the world is still here and your family's still around and you're still breathing, then you know what? The harvest and the law of sowing and reaping is still in effect. It's not just a farming principle. It's a law of life. It's a law that follows us. And you know what? Here's the reality with laws. If we disobey them, we cannot participate in their benefits. That's it. You want the benefits of the law? Then follow what the law prescribes. It's the case with eternal life. It's the case with our words. It's the case with our choices. It's the case with all things. You know, I've caught myself many times with my blessed children because there are moments that I am at my wits end and the patience is running dry. You know, especially when I get home, 
I get home and I'm carrying my backpack from work. I'm carrying my son's backpack. I'm carrying my daughter's backpack. I'm carrying my daughter's shoes and the socks that she always takes off in the car. She takes it off when we go to school. She takes it. I see some parents nodding. Go ahead and give Jesus the praise because this is truth right now. You know, every single time we get in the car, like why? I told my wife, stop putting her shoes on when we're going to school because I'm going to have to ask my son to go find it somewhere underneath the seats when we park at daycare. And I'm standing outside. It's raining. It's cold. And I'm trying to put shoes shoes and socks on a child. Just give it to me. I'll put it on the side because I'll just do it then once. <laughs> but I'm carrying all these things. Oh, and by the way, then I have their little projects that they made at school that we're going to put up on the, on the you know, bulletin board. And I have, you know what, my coffee cup that I brought in the morning. So I've got a lot of things. And my kids need me to pick them up at that moment. Or they're having a tantrum at that moment about something. Or he starts fighting with her about something. Or something's going on and I am in the middle of all this stuff and I can't do it. And I just, you know, want to say certain things at that moment. But then I'm realizing I will reap what I sow. I have blessed children. Not what I want to say. I want to say something else. You guys are so blessed. I love my Jesus. I chose this life. And I know you have it. Children are an inheritance of the Lord, Ezekiel. Right? You know, man, you got three. You know the struggle is real. But that's the reality. It is the, the law is in place. While there is seed time and harvest, it shall remain. Why am I going to speak something negative over my children at that moment? Why am I going to declare and expect a different result if I am reaping, uh, sowing into their lives frustration, anger, belligerence, an altered voice, and I start speaking how they are unhelpful, how they are not blessed, and how they're this and that, and how they never help me, and blah, 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 blah. Why do I believe I am going to reap down the line? Oh, daddy says, I'm never helpful. So let me actually become that which daddy has called. They don't choose to do that consciously, but that seed is buried subconsciously. We can overcome these things through the grace of God. There's no doubt about it. But the reality is it's going to be a miracle to overcome the things that we sow. You plant an apple tree and you need mangoes by the time the harvest comes around, if there is no miracle, you're going to get some apples. Just saying. So the harvest is a consequence. But what else, friends? Let's take a look at verse 9. He says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. See, the harvest is a process. Say process. This dad was talking to his little girl about the importance of money, the value of money. And he started telling her the, the importance of her saving some money. So he instructed her to get her little piggy bank and put her money in it. And when that piggy bank got filled, Kenan, that she should take that and go to the bank. And at the bank, she could drop off her money so that she could draw some interest. The little girl was understanding and tracking with her dad pretty well and got super excited, Mark. And so what she does is she says, can I go today? Can I go to the bank? No problem. Dad calls up the bank. 
talks to the banker, says to the banker, hey, my daughter is super excited for the bank account. She's coming by. Help her sign up an account. Take her deposit. I'll stop by later and I'll sign all the paperwork. He wanted his daughter to feel independent and be able to go do it. Sounds like my daughter. She won't even let us feed her anymore. She wants a spoon and it foods all over the place. But the girl goes. The bank president is waiting for the little girl, all excited. I got a new customer and so young. This is so cool. The family's instilling some values. It's amazing. So he's there waiting for her. The girl hands over her money. She gives it to him. He takes it, deposit, gives her a receipt. And then the little girl is just like kind of standing around as if she's like waiting for something. So the, the president looks at her and says, little girl, is there anything else that I can help you with? And she says, yeah, absolutely. I want my interest. <laughs> Say to your neighbor, I want my interest. Go ahead, tell your other neighbor, the one you ignored, I want my interest. You and me both. <laughs> I want my interest. I want to put that money in the bank, Canada, and I want to get it back. You got anything you can do with, about that for us? You're a VP, right? Uh, so here's the deal. I want my interest, and I want that right now. I want that, but you know what? Harvest is a process. The harvest is a process. It doesn't quite work out that way. People don't quite understand this when it comes to their need for reaping. You know, I'm going through a struggle or a situation in my life and I need to reap something right now, but you know what? I haven't followed the process. So what do we do in that moment? We want to sow something real quick and then we want to reap the harvest right after, but it doesn't quite work out like that. Like Hadassah, the friend at school who never cracks open the book, but then he shoots up a prayer right before the exam asking God for a passing grade. You, you, know, you know the kind, right? Like your, 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 your family member who gets 10 times more spiritual as it gets closer to the first of the month, every single month. Have you noticed that? How you doing, sis? Oh, you know, I'm doing good. I'm just believing God's going to come through. He's got my rent today. I want to ask her, but what about you? Do you got your budget? God's got the rent, but do you got a budget? What did you do with the other 29, 30 days of the month? What did you do with the two payrolls that you had or the, 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 the four payrolls that you had? Or if you're paid monthly, what did you do with last month's money? You've ran out of money before you ran. And now we have struggles and situations and challenges that we go through, no doubt about that. But when a person is constantly waiting on a miracle, church, God does not want us living off of miracles. God wants to live off of daily blessings. If you need another miracle to get through the day, then you might have missed the reality that the harvest is a process. I just need another miracle today. I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth, pastor. I need a miracle. God's got to come through in my marriage, in my family, in my money, in my health, in my this, in my that. And wait, what about the processes? What about the principles of sowing and reap? What are you sowing? Because you want to reap right now, but you never sowed. And you didn't get your life prepared and set up for you to do that. Praise the Lord that God operates miracles when we need it. Amen? But if we are just counting on a miracle to get us through every single day, then maybe we have not partnered with God. Because God wants us to live in dependency of him. But we've got to do our part. One of our core values moving forward is we say we actively pray. 
And what do we mean by that? It means that we are going to be people in this church that really believe in the power of prayer. We pray like it only depends on God. And he needs to show up because if he doesn't, we will not get through. But then the active part of praying is that we roll up our sleeves and we get to work and we do the work ourselves, believing that God would take what we can do and add to it what only he can do. It's not about, oh God, give me my rent this month. Oh God, help me with my health. Hey, why didn't you control your diabetes? What's up with you? You're going one synthetic, supersized meal at a time and you are digging yourself into a early grave. What about the process? God, I want this fit body. But yeah, well, pick up a dumbbell. Go run on the truck. Go walk. Walking, it does miracles. It does. And that's all I can do with these days. You know, I walk and I pick up children. That's what I do. You know, that's what I do. I, we, we lay on the floor. We get on the couch and we're playing all these games. They think I'm just having fun. I'm working out. I'm trying to, you know, kill two birds with one stone. Hey, you got to get it where you can, okay? So don't judge me. This is my life and my season, my station. Maybe you empty nesters, you're like, I forgot about that life. Yeah, God bless you, all right? One day I'll get to where you're at, in Jesus' name. I don't want to get there too quick, though, because I love this season. It's good. So praise the Lord that God steps in and he moves. But you know what? God has a process. Go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, I want you to see this in your Bibles. Go ahead, grab your Bibles, open up your Bibles, go to, go to the Bible app, whatever it is. Look in your Bibles because you need to see this jumping off the page for yourself. Jesus speaking, he says in Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Here is another illustration of what the kingdom of God is like. A farmer planted seeds in a field. Where? A field. And then he went on his other activities. He went on with his other activities, meaning he left the field. He went away. As the days went by, the seeds sprouted and grew without the farmer's help. Again, the laws of sowing and reaping. There is a natural law that God placed. You plant the seed, the seed will germinate, the seed will grow. There is consequence. Okay. Verse 28, because the earth produces crops on its own, first a leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of wheat are formed. And finally, the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and he harvests it with a sickle. Did you hear the process in that? Did you just hear he said, I plant the seed and then I go and I pick up the result? No, no, no. You plant the seed. Then the blade of grass shoots up. And then the wheat head comes out. And then it ripens. There is a process. The harvest is not an event. It's a process. The harvest is much like life and the spiritual growth that happens around us, which is a process. It's not an event. As Romans 8 puts it, it's all things working out for the good of those who love them and are called according to his purposes. It's a process of God using all things to produce something else. What we often see as events are actually one of two, two things. 
We see an event in somebody's life and we think, oh, that's the culmination of the process. Or we will realize it's the commencement of a process. Because that's what we see. We don't see what's happened before or after, but there is a whole bunch that goes on. Understanding that your harvest is a consequence means that you need to pick the seed, determine your seed. But then, understanding that the harvest is a process, that means you need to understand preparation. Say preparation. See, Mark chapter 4, God, it says that Jesus went on, the farmer went on to do other things. There is a process for the harvest. And I got some sandbags here. I got some things going on over here. Let's see if I uh, worked out enough with my children and I can pick this stuff up. Here we go. We got a sandbag. And what God wants to do in our lives, he wants to pour some things out. He wants to pour some things in our lives and he starts to pour on our table. And he starts to go ahead and minister to us. And he wants that thing to go deep and wide and long and high. And he wants to keep pouring out his blessings and pouring out his blessings. And I am going to need a mask after this in a shower. But God is pouring out over us and he's pouring it out. And he's got desires. He's got plans. He's got a will. And he wants to keep pouring because last time I checked, God always has more to give us. God has more than a 50-pound bag to pour out over our lives, in our health, in our marriage, in our children, in all of these different things. Can I get my helpers to come through? But this is what the word says in Isaiah 54, verses 2 through 3. My bad for the dust. If anyone's allergic, forgive me. I'll pay your hospital bill later. Um, Enlarge your house... Build an addition, spread out your home, for soon you will be bursting at the seams. We want God to pour out in our lives, and God wants to pour out in our lives. But we have such a small surface for him to pour out on, that when he does pour, all the blessings fall When he does pour, we can't contain it. But God says, I want you to build and I want you to prepare because I got seeds for you. I got purposes for you. I got plans for you. I got promises for you. I have more and more and more that I want to pour. And if you prepare, you enlarge your mind, you enlarge your territory, you read some books, you gain some knowledge, you advance your faith. Oh God, I'm going to grow in my faith. Oh God, I'm going to grow in my purpose. God, I'm going to follow after you in my destiny. I'm going to advance. I can contain more of God's blessings and more of God's promises. Why? Because I have the surface area to receive it. Some of us, we're just asking God, I need you to pour out in my life, Jesus. I want you to pour out your blessings upon me. And everybody talks about the blessing and the promise and the finances and the marriage and the good grades and the this and the that and the homes and whatever. How many people are talking about the process? Lord, enlarge my knowledge. Lord, I want to be able to pray and the sick will recover. So Lord, how do I need to learn how to pray? And we are engaging in the process. 
Lord, uh, you know what? I fasted one day, and you know what? I almost died. But Jesus, I heard that you fasted for 40. So there must be an opportunity and an ability for a man to do more than what I've done. I need to learn about this process and engage with it. I need to enlarge my territory. Because you want to operate. Somebody calls you and says, Daniel, I want you to come over here and pray for my, 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 my Aunt Nettie, my, my Miss Ellie, or whoever it might be, my neighbor, my friend, my college uh, mate, whatever. They're sick. You're a believer, right? You, you, you say that Jesus can heal, right? Can you come and pray? And we get there like, oh, I don't know how to pray. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? How do I pray? And you know what? Jesus sent his disciples to pray for the sick to cast out devils, to do good, to preach the gospel. You know what? When the moment for us to reap the harvest shows up, that is not the moment for us to prepare. The preparation had to happen before. When God starts pouring out his, his blessings and his promises, you can't be building the table now when everything is falling. The table needs to be prepared before the outpouring. But God, can you use me? Can you use me? Do I, do I look like this? Because I'm getting dirty. I'm putting in the work. I'm actually going into the process. I'm not just asking for the blessing, but I'm asking for the wisdom and understanding in the process. I'm seeking God to teach me, to guide me, to direct me, to empower me. Because when he starts pouring out, if I'm not ready, how will I be able to do what I need to do in the hour? Jesus said, when some disciples were asked to go pray and cast out a devil off of a, some, some kid, the disciples came back and they had no power. They couldn't do what they needed to do. And so what does Jesus say? This kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. There was a preparation needed ahead of time for that when the hour of reaping was needed, they could do what they needed to do. Oh, Lord, I need you. Oh, Lord, I need your miracle. Yeah, but you also need the process. The harvest is a consequence. The harvest is a process. But then number three, the harvest is a season. Verse nine, he says, for in due season you will reap. Another translation says, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest. Friends, there's an appropriate time for the harvest to come. You know, we can get into the Greek words of chronos and kairos. You know, chronos, uh, you know, the, the general sense of time. And kairos, which is another word used for the appropriate, opportune, exact fullness and fulfillment of time. But the reality is this, that there is a time that God wants to pour out. And so we are asking God to, to do this in our lives and that in our lives. And it's not the right time for that. Then we have a problem. My son was reminiscing with me the other day when we got home from, from school. He says, hey, Daddy, remember the day? Remember, remember when I drove? Drove. Remember the day that I drove? And this is going online. So look, let me just be honest. There was nobody here. We were at the church. It was the guest parking lot, visitor parking lot right there. To the back parking lot, there was nobody around. 
Okay, there was no cars, so I placed my son on my lap and we drove to the back because I needed to go in the back door and grab something. So we drove, okay? My toddler sat on my lap and he held the steering wheel and I actually did the driving with my feet, right? Y'all know what we're talking about here, right? Okay, so he drove. He starts reminiscing of the story when we get home. And he says, hey, daddy, remember when I drove? Yeah, that was so much fun, dad. I'm like, yeah, I know it was, son. It was cool, right? He's like, yeah. Can I do it again, dad? And I'm like, yeah, we can do it again. Yeah, but I want to do it alone. (laughs) Now, just imagine for a second that my four-year-old would be able to somehow miraculously sit on that seat and see above the steering wheel and also reach the pedal. Imagine if he could do that by some miracle. Now, if I hand over the keys to my son to go drive my car, how much of a blessing would that be in his life? See, because a blessing out of its season could actually be a curse. A blessing out of its season could be a curse. So some of us like, oh God, I just want this blessing. Please open up this door of promotion for me at my work and give me this platform, Father. Well, a platform without character could be a curse. A position without the integrity to maintain it could be a curse. A blessing that you see in your time and it looks right and proper for you, God sees in the fullness of his time and he says, yep, not, 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 the, not, the, nope, not now. Do I want to derail you from your life? I'll give it to you right now. You got some people in your circle that you need to get out of the way before I even give you this. Because if I give you this and that person's connected to you, that person is going to manipulate you or twist you or lead you or guide you in a different way. If I give you this blessing right now, your insecurity and your lack of maturity and your arrogance is going to take you into a whole different stream. And pretty soon you are the one who looks like he is the man. My wife was showing me a video of a lady who, who I don't even know her name because, you know, I don't follow all these musicians and different things, but she was showing me a video of a lady who was four years ago at this major evangelistic crusade type of thing, singing for Jesus and doing this incredible, incredible thing in a stadium filled with people giving glory and honor and praise to Jesus Christ. And then she showed me her, this lady's Instagram right now. And she is now singing out in the world. She's barely wearing any clothes. And she's singing something dark and demonic and all sorts of different weird things. And it's like, whoa. I don't know what happened in her life and what was the situation. But God can see throughout the fullness of time. And he looks and something that we might be chasing after and desiring and we think it's right for us and good for us, but he sees it's like, you know what? This blessing out of its season is gonna be a curse. And you who were so fired up and serving me and excited for me, you didn't have the character to maintain the platform and the fame and the notoriety and the people coming after you and, and all of the benefits and perks that came with you being noticed and having such a high place that you let that get to you. And now look where you are. You're not even serving me. A blessing comes in its right season. The harvest is a season. If you just think of that from a blessing perspective, you see the example of my son. But if you, sorry, if you think about this from the perspective of control, 
you're going to realize a couple of things as well. A farmer will plant his crops at springtime, and he can calculate with reasonable certainty, accuracy, the time that the harvest is going to come. He can use the farmer's almanac and other techniques of farming, and he can kind of gauge, kind of like, I find it incredible that the doctor can, you can go to the doctor, your OBGYN, and you can say, hey, you know what, we're, we're pregnant, you know, we, huh? uh, my wife is pregnant because the guy ain't pregnant, okay, we ain't pregnant, she's pregnant. Ladies, that was your chance to say amen, amen. all right, because so the guy's like, we pregnant, no, you're not. You ain't carrying this thing, you just gave the seed, you sowed, and now we're going to reap, I'm reaping more of the consequences than you are. This child's trying to eat me from the inside, right? It's all things I would hear from my wife. You did this to me. Yes, I did this to you. I'm sorry. Anyways, it's incredible that you can go to the doctor and you can f- go for an appointment and then they can do all this math and calculations and blah, blah, blah. And they say, oh, yeah, you conceived on X date. And, oh, by the way, the baby should be showing up on X date, which, by the way, is not nine months. It's more than nine months. That's, that, it's more than nine months, right? Some of the doctors are shaking their head in the house. It is more. That was surprising to me because I remember in school, nine months. But anyways, they can look at that stuff and say, with accuracy, you know, barring some variables, you should probably be having a baby on this date and you conceived on this date. And it's incredible. Same thing with harvest. The farmer can plant, he can plan, and he can do the watering and the prepping and all that stuff. And he knows that by X date, he should probably be getting a harvest, He can base his life on it. He can plan around it. He can prepare the vendors. He can prepare the workers. He can prepare all the stuff in order to cultivate that harvest and and get that and sell it and do what he needs to do. There's all of that that goes on. But with the spiritual life church, it's not the same thing. When it comes to our control, we can control the seed. We can't control the harvest. We can control the seed and the preparing and the preparation, but we cannot control the timing, the season of the harvest. That is up to God and God alone. We're unable to calculate the spiritual outcome of our faithful labors to the Lord. That's why Paul says, do not grow weary. What's a sign that you're growing weary? You have no patience with the person or the thing that you used to show a lot of grace and mercy to. What's a sign that you you, you are growing weary? Oh, you know what? All of a sudden, you're doubting the direction or the plan that God has already spoken to you to do. You start to doubt it. How do you know that you are not staying faithful and you're growing weary? You begin to alter the plan that God gave for you and say, I got this. If you find yourself a little too manipulative and micromanaging of the direction and plan and the purpose and the promise of what God has said and done and expected to you and shared with you, it might be a sign that you're growing weary. And God says, do not grow weary through the mouths of the Apostle Paul. For that reason, we have to be very careful and cautious of hyping up the visible fruit in our lives of hyping out the visible results that are coming into our lives because we cannot control when God, in his sovereignty, will allow the word to come forth. One thing is true. God is not a liar. 
and his word is true. Whatsoever we sow, we shall reap. That we will reap a harvest in due season. That his word will not return void. If God has promised it, he shall fulfill it. If he's declared it, he will bring it to pass. We know that that is true, but the timing is up to him. William Carey arrived in India in 1793 with the burden to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to all those who did not know Jesus before. For seven years, how many? He proclaimed the gospel message to people week after week, month after month, with not a single convert. Seven years. Pastor, I've been coming to church, but it doesn't seem like anything's happening. You know, I've been here for seven months, and, you know, it seems like there's nobody else showing up. I show up at 10 o'clock, and there's like five people in the sanctuary ready to worship God. Seven years he preached every week, faithfully, month after month after month. Through years of struggle and doubt, Carrie was often discouraged. And I'm going to be honest. I'll stand over here. I close my eyes when I worship because I I know it's about me and Jesus. It's not about me and you. So no offense to you. I'm glad you're worshiping Jesus, but it's about me and him. It's not about me and my neighbor. So if your neighbor is pressing into the Lord and having a wonderful time with the Lord, praise the Lord. If you're not because you're watching everybody else, then you are missing out. You're not sowing the right seeds. So number one, I press in and I want to just worship God. I want to let the music flow through me. I want to speak those words and know how those words are impacting and applying into my own life. I'm giving God my worship. But then secondly, I'm closing my eyes because it's disappointing. It's disappointing to show up to church expecting that God's going to work miracles. And then I show up and I look and there's like five people around. Where's everybody else? They show up like 30 minutes late. It's disappointing. I show up to church excited. I'm praying before I get here. I'm asking God to pour out. We're in this place at 930 praying that God is going to impact every one of your lives. Every person logging in online. And we're prophesying blessing over you. That it's not just a seat that's filling up for our attendance records. But every person sitting, you, you represent life that has been transformed. A life that is worthy of celebration. That you have victory in your life and you're going to go into your home and in your community and you're going to change the very reality of the world around you. We are prophesying these things, expecting these things. And then I open up my eyes and I see five people. It's frustrating. So if you see me worshiping God, I'm pressing into the Lord, but I'm also saying, Lord, you got to do what only you can do because these people are not here for me. If they are, God, send them away. I don't want people to come to church for Brian Feria. I need people to show up because the life giver is here. Because the King of kings and Lord of lords has arrived. And he's got a message for me and hope for me. And his word is going to change the very fabric of my destiny. So I come expecting. I pray before I get here. I'm seeking the Lord. And I'm hoping you're doing the same. I don't know where the heck that came out of, but, oh, William Carey was discouraged. (laughs) William Carey was so discouraged. This is what he would write back to his sisters in England. He says, I feel as a farmer does about his crop. Sometimes I think the seed is springing, and thus I hope a little blasts all, and my hope are gone like a cloud. 
They were only weeds which appeared. Or if a little corn sprung up, it quickly dies, being either choked up with weeds or parched up by the sun of persecution. Yet still I hope in God and will go forth in his strength and make mention of his righteousness. And on December 28th, 1980, I'm sorry, excuse me, 1800, my bad. He got there in 1793. And so seven years later, December 28th, 1800, Kerry baptized in the Ganges River his very first Hindu convert, a carpenter named Krishna Pal. And they had a wild celebration because one life received Jesus Christ. One life. After seven years, one soul was redeemed from the depths of hell and placed in the freedom and the hope and the truth and the life of the word of God. And that was just the beginning of a mighty harvest of souls that God granted to carry and his co-workers in the mission in India. And he became the father of modern missions in the world. But seven years. So what is Paul inviting us to, church? That we need to gain control by taking advantage of every God-given opportunity. God, there is a season that you're going to reap Um, the harvest in our lives. You're gonna pour out your blessings. And in that season, I don't want to be building. In that season, I wanna have my sickle ready and I'm just going for it. And I'm grabbing everything and everyone and all the blessings and the promises and the purposes that you had for me. That is what he is asking us to do. Look at the opportunities. Look at the opportunities. Proverbs 10.5, a wise youth harvests in the summer, but one who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. Church, I don't know about you, but I think the harvest is ready. There's a world right now waiting and looking and seeking and needing us. Right now is the time. Right now is the moment. When is the moment that you should be investing in the right stocks? It's, it's when they come up. It's when, it's when it's, you know, in its inception. It's when the prices are low. It's not when it's at the all-time high. Yeah, you got to get in, you get in. But when is the time? There is a season. There is a time for everything, Ecclesiastes tells us. And so we need to understand that the harvest is a season. What is the season that you're in? What is your season? Right now, if it's a season of work, then get to work redeem the opportunity. Do not grow weary. Oh, but I'm so tired. I'm done this and no results are coming. Get working. And if God is pouring out his blessing, then you know what? Leverage what God is pouring out and work with God as opposed to against him. God is pouring out instruction and correction. Lord, I'm leaning into what you're trying to correct in me because this is you also pouring out your harvest in my life. If God is pouring out for you, uh, stretching you beyond your comfort zone, Lord, I am receiving, and now I'm getting to work to do what you want me to do. I'm going to invite the team to come on up. The Bible is very clear. Whatever the harvest is, we need to be ready in its time. We need to be ready by planting and choosing the right seeds. You want more of God in your life? Then what are you doing to sow more of his presence into your life? Lord, I want to hear from you and know your voice and know you and all that stuff, but you don't crack open this book. 
Lord, I need you to press into my life. And you know what? My coworkers are making fun of, of you and me following after you. Well, could it be that you haven't poured into the process of becoming a disciple and a follower who only walks the walk? You don't have to tell them anything. But because you have poured into the process of following Christ, you don't even have to open up your lips before your neighbors. They see the effects and the fruit and the harvest that God is pouring out in you. Whatever it is that you're at, whatever thing you're chasing, whatever harvest you're looking for, finances, health, restored family relationships. You need to understand, church, that you've got seeds to plant in those circumstances. Are you planting them? Maybe you're planting the wrong seeds that are only perpetuating your problem. Take your mouth captive. Take your thoughts captive. Take your pride and subdue it. We want the results, but we need to want the work. We want to build this church and advance the kingdom of God in this region. And we're believing in God for, you know, 150 baptisms per year. That is work. I need us all working to invite the lost into church. We put these little invite cards on your seat every single week because we have nothing else to do. And we like going to every pew and putting little cards every week. We want to give you a tool. I'm sowing a seed into your hand to say, here is my seed. I'm going to talk to somebody in the marketplace and I'm going to say, here you go. Come to my church. This invite could change your life. Why? Because when you meet my Jesus, he changed mine. He could change yours. We want God to move. We need to show up at prayer and pray and press in. We want God to show up in our homes and our families. Do we have a secret place to meet with him? Where in secret we can follow him and in public he can reward us. I don't know what your harvest is that you're looking for. But I can tell you this. The rules that he set in place apply to every single one of the harvest you're chasing. You want the harvest of a marriage? Oh, buddy, you got to do the work. Sow the seeds of respect and love. Sow the seeds of communication. Sow the seeds. Oh, and then go and work at it. But she said this. Yeah, but I've said worse things. So I'm going to subdue my flesh right now and I'm going to work on you. I'm not working on, I'm working on you. Because I want to reap mercy from her. Grace. Whatever it is, it applies to finances, it applies to life, it applies to spiritual life. And some of us, first and foremost, we cannot ever experience the eternal life that God is promising us. If all we live for is our flesh, all have sinned, all have fallen short, all have run away from God. And we sang that song 
that he breached the chasm that was far too wide. Jesus did that by saying, I will do the work and sow the seed so that my people can reap the harvest of eternal life. He has sowed himself. He went through the painful work of a cross. But then he went through the awesome work of that resurrection. And now he's he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's given us eternity if we would just choose to enter into that harvest field ourselves. So will you stand with me today? It's 11.51. Jesus, have mercy. Just close your eyes with me. If you have not experienced this Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then today I invite you to change that. Right now, if you've walked away from the faith, maybe you knew him before, but you walked away from the faith and you decided to just, you know, go and chase the harvest field of the world and this thing and that thing and everything. Today, recommit your heart and your life to Jesus. Because, friend, you will not deceive God. Live for yourself. Chase this world. Live in sin the consequences of which is death. And here's the reality of this thing. It's incorrigible. It's unchangeable. It's final. When we get into eternity ourselves and we stand before King Jesus, what we sowed on this side of eternity is final. We can't change it then. Just like those who are asking right before the exam, God, give me a passing grade. It's not going to happen. So right now, fix it. If you have never invited Jesus to forgive you of your sins and be your Lord and your Savior, then today I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. I want you to raise your hand if that's you. If you've never done this, or if you've done this before, but you've walked away from him and you've tried to do this on your own based on your own good works and your own merit, I want you to lift up your hands and come back to Jesus Christ today. If that's you, go ahead, lift up your hands. I want our ushers to know where you are because I want to place something in your hand. If that's you, lift it up high. Any person who needs to know the love of Jesus and forgiveness of sins, You need to recommit your life. God bless you over here. Come on over. Ushers, go ahead and go over. Put something in that person's hand. Anybody else? Lift up a hand. Every eye closed. This is between you and God. Don't worry about everybody else. Sow the right seeds right now and get things right. Did an usher come see her? Come on over. Make sure you do that. I want you, if this is you, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Lord... forgive me of my sins go ahead church let's all pray with them forgive me Lord of my sins I recognize that Jesus Christ came to earth lived a sinless life died on the cross for my sins 
And on the third day, he rose from the dead and he reigns eternally. Help me, Lord, to live for you. Walk with me. Guide me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, recommitting or deciding for Jesus, I want to see you at the end of service. May God bless you. And for the rest of us, I want to just invite you right now, whatever it is that you're trying to seek in the Lord, it's a consequence. It's a process. And it's a season. I don't know which one of these three things you need to ask the Lord to reveal to you, to strengthen you in. But I want to pray for your strength. So lift up your hands. Father, in your mighty name, I declare your grace and your mercy over every person at the sound of my voice. That God, not one shall grow weary, but everyone shall be strengthened, supernaturally endued with power. That they will live, Lord God, by faith and not by sight. That they would not grow weary in doing right or doing well or doing good. But Father, as they have persevered, fought the good fight, continued on towards the mark which is in heaven in Christ Jesus. That Lord, you would give them the prize that is their inheritance in your mighty, mighty name. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. May God bless you and strengthen you.